Welcome to Rewire Your Attachment Style. This is Maya Diamond, and I'm so excited to be here today interviewing this wonderful, amazing couple, Ani and Lee. Welcome. So happy to have you here. Thank you, Maya. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, so beautiful to be connected finally. Yay. Awesome. So um, I'm just going to introduce Ani and Lee before we dive in. So Ani Manian is widely known as the ultimate mirror, is a trusted advisor to the world's leading visionaries, entrepreneurs, and leaders, and the host of the You Are Limitless podcast. He is notorious for taking high achievers who have already created significant success and influence to far greater levels outside their realm of possibility by giving them an unfair advantage access to the vast creative potential of their mind. He helps them transform their consciousness, the internal operating system that drives their thinking, feeling, behavior, and results to a level where they can bend conventional reality and become limitless. 100% of his clients have gone on to create profound impact and change in the world, as well as lasting happiness and personal well-being for themselves. Welcome, Lee. I mean, welcome, Ani. And Lee helps creative, powerful women and couples cultivate emotional and erotic intelligence so they can create untamed intimacy in their romantic partnerships She uniquely integrates psychology and sensuality and shares powerful communication tools and somatic practices that allows clients to connect deeply to their own bodies. By guiding clients into deeper self-love, acceptance, curiosity, and play, Lee helps them boldly open their hearts in order to give and receive the epic love they desire. So, so wonderful to have the two of you here. I would love to dive in and ask you, how did the two of you meet? And how long have you been together? You're tossing the ball to me? I'm tossing the ball to you. <laughs> well, it's, it's ironic that our stories are pretty similar to one another. So this is good. We don't have completely different renditions. Right, but totally. <laughs> um, we met unlike most modern day people at a workshop not online yeah so old school we met at a workshop and it was a workshop actually that um we had both been gifted tickets to Mm -hmm. so it wasn't something that we had planned on going to but we met at this workshop and early in the day we struck up conversation and really hit it off just even from a sort of professional perspective Mm-hmm. And we remained friends for a number of months after that workshop, and we'd mm-hmm. grab coffee here and there. There was no sign of any romantic interest, n- not at least from him, for uh-huh. months. And I was, you know, off doing my thing in New York City. Mm-hmm. And so it was only a few months after we had become friends that we'd started to develop a romantic connection, mm-hmm. all led by me, I will say. I definitely initiated. Uh-huh. Um, 
that part of the relationship. Uh Um, And since then, it's, I feel like we've traveled lifetimes together. We've, Mm. we are actually celebrating our one year anniversary this month. Mm, Beautiful. Happy anniversary. Thank you. And you you called it, right? You called it like. I did. um, Well, but not, not quite. When we first met, Uh I, the, the day we met, I said, I think you're the man I've been asking for. This is literally the first conversation we had. I, I, but I did not mean romantically. I meant the kinds of things we were talking about. I thought yeah. he would be a great male counterpart to leading intimacy work with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I was looking for a male partner to lead this work with so that there was a more balanced perspective at workshops and retreats. Yeah. I thought he was going to be the one. And yeah. it turns out he is, literally. But... Yeah. I, I didn't know that at the time. Yeah. So I did have an intuition. Totally. Yeah. I love that you said that and just spoke. It's interesting how sometimes we just speak these things and we're kind of surprised when we say them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So cool. Awesome. Um, and so, so are you saying, so when you, so it sounds like when you first met, there was like, you were felt drawn to each other. Did you guys feel attraction towards each other? Yeah, absolutely. I think yeah. when she, so at the workshop, I'd, I'd gotten like three hours of sleep the night before and <laughs> I was, I was sitting there half asleep, um, despite drinking some coffee. And I remember Lee got up to speak. It was a workshop to really develop your public speaking, oh, nice. you know, voice. Uh-huh. And she, her presence was like a thunderbolt and mm. She had such a powerful being and she just radiated energy. And mm-hmm. it was uh, it was like that scene from The Godfather when he's, he's struck by the thunderbolt in Sicily. And <laughs> yeah, there was, I felt but, really drawn to her. I felt really drawn to her energy and I felt really drawn yeah. to how she expressed herself. Mm-hmm. And I really find that to be one of her most attractive qualities. Mm-hmm. the way she's you know really fully expressed mm-hmm. beautiful and how did did you, what what energetically drew you to lee Ani? like what did you notice energetically there was um oh wait i was asking Oh, mm. oh, Lee. <laughs> Sorry. It happens all the time they're both kind of androgynous Short. names yeah. so <laughs> exactly <laughs> Thank you. you. You can call us the other person. It's fine. <laughs> um, energetically, there, there. He just had this. Um, I don't know if austere is the right word, but he had this unwavering presence. Mm-hmm. There was one. There was one moment at the workshop where I was talking to another woman, and I could just feel him sort of out of out of the corner of my eye, mm-hmm. and I'm like, okay, he's not going anywhere. He's he's chilling, and I, yeah. could, I could feel him there. The validity. Yeah, there was just a strength of character and a strength of presence that's kind of beyond words. Hmm. And I I feel that all the time to this day. Hmm. Beautiful. Wonderful. And I'm curious, um, what are some kind of practices that are kind of rocks in your relationship in other words do you have any structures in place in your relationship like a date night or a check-in or couples therapy or something that you is like but especially something that just the two of you do 
um, that really uh, you feel like is really beneficial for your relationship? Yeah, you know, and the like, first thing that comes to mind is regularly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, is going beyond practice. This mm -hmm. entire this relationship itself is a practice. Mm -hmm. This relationship is really um, a practice of supporting each other mm. through their spiritual and personal growth. Mm. So this relationship itself is on a moment-to-moment -moment basis a container of transformation. Mm -hmm. And you know, with this relationship, we're doing a lot of things very differently from what we've done in past relationships. Mm -hmm. You know, in the past we you know, as happens, it happens for, you know, a lot of couples, they're attracted to each other's trauma. And there's nothing more attractive than a trauma bond, which, yeah. you know, the pieces fit like jigsaw puzzles. Yes. And, you know, typically, there's the infatuation stage. And then at each of these successive stages, there's breakpoints. And, you know, most people break up like in those breakpoints. Right. Um, what we've done is, we have entered into union, mm -hmm. not just with each other, but with each other's highest selves, mm. with each other's highest truths and highest potential. Mm -hmm. And so we've essentially made the commitment to hold each other to their highest potential mm. and Beautiful. to be this unwavering reflection mm -hmm. of, you know, who they are in truth. So, mm -hmm. You know, our our relationship has evolved so much in the beginning. You know, we, um, given that we're both really kind of obsessed with, you know, human behavior and intimacy and connection, you know, we'd spend minutes just looking into each other's eyes, mm -hmm. not as a deliberate act of, okay, now we're going to do some eye gazing. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we would just fall in to these little pockets of presence. Mm -hmm. where I remember I'd be, you know, doing the dishes and I'd turn around and Lee would be, you know, sitting at the table and she'd look at, she'd look into my eyes and I'd look into hers and we would sort of slip in to a state of pure presence. Mm -hmm. And in that state, we were just pure awareness, recognizing pure awareness without mm -hmm. this identification with, you know, mm -hmm. these ego attributes that, mm -hmm. You know, in past relationships, when we when we saw each other, that we would have seen the narrative structure, the story, like you are this way, you always do this, you always do that. Right. Um, do you want to share some more? Yeah, um, something that's a pretty unique practice that we have is um, we will share about our our past sexual experiences with one another. Mm -hmm. This has actually been a really profound practice for us because. Mm -hmm you know, I have found in many of my past relationships that once I was in a relationship with someone, my sexual being before that point ceased to exist. And I use it in right. air quotes as if I didn't have any sexual experiences that I enjoyed right. and loved mm -hmm. or men that I still cared about mm -hmm. even while with this person. Yeah. And so we've created a lot of intimacy by seeing the fullness of the other person, the fullness of their sexual desire, of their fantasies, of their kinks, of, you know, what lights them up and turns them on, what really turns them off. And it's great because I, I get to know him through storytelling and he gets to know me through storytelling. 
Yeah. And it's it's just something that happened before we met. And yeah, to get totally. to know who he is in his fullness, because I might not always bring some of those sides out in him and vice versa, but we still get to have those sides present. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, when we hold space for that for one another, we've worked through a lot of shame, guilt, things we were hiding or that we had never told anyone before. Mm. So we always enter into that kind of practice um, with a lot of reverence. And of course, if someone is not willing to have that kind of conversation at the mm-hmm. moment, we can always say, hey, why don't we talk about this another time? Um, I'd right. like to just be here with you right now. Yeah. Yeah. And this is really also, you know, stretched. Um, our relationship is really like a, a laboratory for us for transformation, mm-hmm. especially from, you know, relational perspective. And so this is also extended to, you know, healing sexual trauma. Mm. And one of the one of the many ways we've sort of held space for each other mm-hmm. has been in those deep, deep, deep places of vulnerability, of trauma, of, you know, intense experience yeah. that, you know, we never were supported through, we were never held through. And, you know, yeah. it's sort of like so deep inside us that it takes an unconditional space of safety. And so we've been able to do that for each other in a really, really, really beautiful way. And, you know, Lee's helped me heal just a lifetime of you know, sexual mm. trauma and a lot of, mm. a lot of shame, a lot of um, guilt, a lot of, mm-hmm. you know, disconnection with, mm. with myself. Mm. And one of her, one of her abilities, one of her superpowers is to be a really, really, really safe space. And in mm. that safety, um, she brings mm. such a, such a, such a presence mm. of acceptance it's um it's really powerful so you know one of the things we do is we'll habitually like hold that space for each other and you know anyone can request that mm. hey, can you hold space for me for this um or you know if we mm. naturally seem to be falling into this place where hey there's some sensitivity here there's a little bit of tension here there's something coming up for me mm-hmm. we can sort of slip into that okay let's would you like to process this would you like to you know, dive into this and explore with curiosity, like what this is, would you like me to hold space for you? Mm -hmm. And so this practice of, hey, what do you need right now? Like, what are you feeling right now? Mm -hmm. Is anything I can support you with? Like these three magic questions, um, we end up using, you know, pretty much every day. And honestly, it's transformed situations where there might be, you know, just the perfect conditions for conflict into opportunities for connection. Yeah. Yeah, that's huge. I'll just, I just want to mirror a couple of things. One, to be able, the ability to hear about past sexual experiences and um, include those as, you know, information is, you know, takes a level of security inside to be able to hear that. Um, And also, also, I would, I want to also add that I think on the it takes a level of, um, I also think that it's almost like a feminist act for a man to be able to hear about past experiences of a a woman that he's with and to not have that color, like his, because I think there's like an old, old paradigm for women around like, you know, the virgin whore complex, right? And so it's like, you know, women, men kind of want to, what I've seen in 
in a lot of relationships is that men want to see their women as like only with them, right? And so, um, so to be able to say like, oh yeah, you're a person, I'm a person, we both have these sexual paths, I think is really liberating for both people and also exactly inclusive of who you are as a being. Exactly. Right. So and I want to mirror that because it's a, that is a very radical act, I believe. And, you know, to be honest, I'll, you know, take the opportunity to speak on behalf of all men. If a man is feeling triggered yeah. because of something that's, you know, sure. true of a, that a woman's experienced or, yeah. you know, she's, you know, had in her life. Yeah. That's, not her responsibility right. to make yeah. the trigger go away in the man. I mean, yeah. the man needs to do his work. Yeah. And, you know, the the magic question that I use with men mm -hmm. who are having challenges mm. being unconditionally with their partners mm -hmm. is what is the work that is mine to do? Mm, right. So what good. is this bringing up in me? Yeah. Right. Where is my insecurity being triggered? Yeah. Where is my sense of inadequacy coming in? Yeah. Where am I feeling pain? Mm -hmm. Where am I feeling less than yeah. that? I'm about to take squish into a ball Wash. and yep. throw yep. at my partner yeah. and make her wrong yeah. and make it her fault and yeah. project my anger at her because it's easier for me to lash out at my partner than for me to hold myself in my pain. Yeah. And this is the reason why men have really projected so much pain and violence and um, mistrust and, mm. you know, non-acceptance and, you know, almost like a sense of confinement on women. Yeah. Because women's role in men's life is to really point to the places in them where work needs to be done, right? And when men see their internal experience through that lens, mm -hmm. then there's so much value. There's such a gift in being like, wow, what is this bringing up in me? Yeah. Wow, it's interesting. I'm feeling this, this charge. I'm feeling this energy. Ooh, it's, it's interesting. What's happening in me when she says that about this past lover that she had? Yeah. Like, because objectively, that has got nothing to do with me. Right. Right? Totally. 100%. And so what a gift we can give to our partners mm -hmm. by allowing them to see themselves using us in that way. Yeah. So beautiful. I love that question of like, what? yeah, what is this bringing up in me? Because... Yeah, the, the taking responsibility for those feelings instead of exactly lashing them out is is so so important in relationship. Can I share one more practice? This yes, one's juicy. Please. This one's super juicy. I love so, it. In addition to using this to really grow ourselves and our relationship, we also do this work with clients, mm -hmm. which is using psychedelics as a mm -hmm. tool for creating deeper, deeper connections and also for clearing, clearing past yeah. trauma, past, mm -hmm. you know, blocks. And yeah. so psychedelics have actually been a huge, huge, huge tool for us. Mm. And the way we've used them in our relationship, it's been absolutely profound. 
Mm. We've been able to sort of, you know, reprocess um, lifetimes of shame, of guilt, of punishment, mm. of self-loathing, of judgment, of, you know, all sorts of trauma. And we've been able to find a level of closeness and connection and devotion. Mm. And the word really is devotion because we've unlocked a level of devotion for each other and for ourselves, to be honest, because, you know, we can't relate to anyone else unless we can relate to ourselves because we can only love the other as much as we can love ourselves. We can only be present with the other as much as we can be present with ourselves. So this has been, I think, like chime in, Lee, like one of the most profound practices that we've <laughs> we've incorporated. So profound. I forgot yeah. to mention it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it it really has been. Um, and has I, that I been self-facilitated or facilitated by another with the two of you? Just Evison. So both. We've we've both participated in um, some of our dear friends who are also trained facilitators holding space for us. Nice. Uh, we've participated in a lot of healing in a small group setting, mm-hmm. and then we've sort of facilitated our own journeys as well. Yeah. Um, and this is, this is work that Donnie and I do with, you know, sort of out in the world and yeah. Yeah. wow, the, the things that we have been able to see and uncover mm-hmm. re- really gets at the heart of human experience. All yeah. we want is to be loved, to be yeah. seen, to be held, to feel safe, to feel connected. Yeah. And on a day-to-day basis when, you know, all of the shit piles up, sometimes it can be hard to say, hey, babe, I just need a hug. I'm feeling really inadequate right now. Yeah, It comes out in some other way, but right. that's what's really underneath. And the intentional use of psychedelics in this way allows us to really cut through all the, all the crap yeah. and say, oh my gosh, this is the core of my humanity. I want to tell you this and I want to share this with you. And please, let's just keep doing this together. Mm, Beautiful, beautiful. So I want to kind of shift. We're going to go back to childhood. I want to know what was it like? What was the relationship that was modeled to you growing up? Like if you can just share some elements of what what romantic relationship model did you see growing up? and maybe a little bit about how that affected you, just because a lot of my clients and the people who are listening, um, you know, had ch- challenging romantic models. And so part of what I like to do is show people you don't have to recreate the parent model that you saw. Can I curse? <laughs> <laughs> that, that's the answer. Uh, uh, well, like many of your clients and like many people all across the world, we did not have healthy models of relationships growing up, Yeah, not in our households, probably not anywhere in our extended family either. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, fairy tales on TV was as good as it got basically. Yeah. Um, you know, I'll, I'll speak for myself in saying that, um, you know, my, my mother had me very late in life. And mm-hmm. so she wasn't sure if she wanted a child or not, uh-huh. but alas, here I am. Yeah. And, um, both of my parents traveled for work. So my mom was mm. an international flight attendant. My dad was a, an over-the-road truck driver. Mm. And, um, I spent a lot of my early childhood years um, bopping around the family's houses mm-hmm. um, between New York and New Jersey. And 
you know, it seemed normal to me. I was like, great. I get to spend time with all of my family. This is awesome. You know, I don't just have to be with my parents, but I, I do think early on that, that, you know, I, I, um, got certain messages about, you know, not enoughness and insufficiency. And my mom was extremely strict growing up. Um, she's comes from a Chinese background. So the, mm. the tiger mom thing is very real. Mm. And um, there was a lot of, uh, you know, I'd say there was just a lot of um, stuff that she pulled from her culture and what she thought would really, really give me the best start that by anyone else's account would be considered severe emotional abuse. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, did, she did better than she got. So it's kind of, you know, take one yeah. with the other. Um, and, and did you see your parent? were they together growing up or not together? Were they married? They are still married, but they were not okay. together often. My dad okay. was always traveling once my mom was off the, you know, out of the air. Um, and so okay. I, I didn't see them together often. And then when they were together, it wasn't always so fun. Yeah. So, um, you know, and they're still together to this day. Yeah. But I, I do see that a lot of the challenges that we've experienced in our relationship was an exact recreation of their dynamic. And because I spent most of my time with her, it was an exact recreation of all of the qualities that she'd inherited from her parents. Yeah. The defensiveness, the anger, the rage, the projection, the denial, the distortion. Mm-hmm. I, I tell you, Maya, I'm like, me? I have these qualities? No way. Right. I'm like, oh my God, I have these qualities. I can do it all. Yeah. I can be an intense lover and I can burn a house down in the yeah. same day. Yeah. And it's these past few months have been particularly enlightening in that way with just a lot of the shadows coming out. Mm-hmm. And like Ani said earlier, we've decided to use those opportunities as a way to see, okay, this is core wounding from childhood how can we support me through this and how we how can we support him through what comes up for him and his triggers because that's we truly believe that's the reason why it's coming up because it wants to be witnessed and it wants to be resolved once and for all 100 percent, beautiful yeah and what about you um ani in terms of kind of the romantic relationship model that you saw in terms of your parents yeah so i'll I'll give some more juice. I'll give some. Uh, I, I'm I'm a I'm a big proponent of radical radical vulnerability. Um, so this is this is good stuff. So and I and I really want to share the insights and the the benefits of you know the work that I've done in discovering and really understanding where I came from. So. I was born to um, a very, very poor couple um, of individuals in India. Mm -hmm. Um, My dad worked like three jobs and my mom, he's passed away now. And my mom um, also worked. And so ever since I was a kid, um, my mom would wake up at like 4 a.m. to make food for me, my dad and my lunch. And then ever since I was like, I think three or four, um, you know, I'd be in preschool and then they drop me off and I'd be at home alone mm. um, because they were working. So yeah. I remember being intensely lonely, like since I can remember anything. Mm. And I used to drink bottles of uh, fever medication. Mm. So I would fall asleep because I missed my mom too much. 
Mm. And this is like when I was three, four years old. So yeah. very, very early on. Um, and so, so that was one dynamic. The other dynamic was that mm-hmm. um, a little later on, um, and even like a little bit before, but their relationship, their primary relationship was very conflict intensive. Mm-hmm. Um, my, you know, the the codependence in their relationship didn't become apparent a little later on till my mom retired. And my dad was the one who was working and in, in basically bringing money. Um, but there was a sort of codependent aspect to their relationship because my mom had essentially lost her identity and I became her identity. So mm-hmm. she was very overbearing with me mm-hmm. and it created lots of tension with, between her and, and my dad. Yeah. And I remember that was a time when they started arguing even more. Yeah. And the conflict would be so much that when I was like seven years old, I mean, between the age of seven and like eight, nine, mm-hmm. I probably like almost killed myself like, a, you know, a dozen times. I remember standing on the edge mm. of the roof, looking wow. down and being like, I was so um, just done with the conflict there was so much conflict that mm-hmm. so much screaming so much and my dad was also physically abusive because you know he needed me to basically fix all the mistakes that he thought he made with himself mm-hmm. and so he was trying to get me to be perfect mm-hmm. which also led him to never say anything positive to me in my whole life till the mm-hmm. day he died mm-hmm. and be a demand perfection mm-hmm. and nothing was ever good enough Mm-hmm. So those aspects also followed me into adulthood. Um, yeah. And later he um, used to drink a lot. So there's that whole like side of, you know, children of alcoholics and like the emotional disconnection, the numbing and, you know, all of that stuff. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, the, I developed a series of, you know, it's like almost like the, the bouquet of a dozen flowers at the florist, a bouquet of core wounding. Yeah. <laughs> there's, one, there's one of every kind and there's some little leaves in the middle to make it all fit really nice. Mm-hmm. And um, I really struggled. I really struggled to source love from, for myself because I never felt good enough. Um, I would source love from women, um, which would require me to habitually date. And I, um, couldn't be with myself. So, you know, I would basically numb myself with love and sex. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, there were patterns of codependency. I needed to be the caretaker. Um, Mm -hmm. I would date women who um, I could caretake and I Mm -hmm. could sort of save um, because I felt more secure in that attachment style because if they needed me, then they wouldn't leave. Yeah. Right. And because I didn't truly believe that anyone would ever want me. Mm -hmm. And so I needed them to need me for there to be some level of security in the relationship. Right. Now, obviously this creates, and then I would project my dad's, you know, not, I'm me not being good enough and him always trying to make me different on them Mm -hmm. because that's, that was my primary way of relating to myself. Right. And so, as you can imagine, it created essentially a series of relationships that all failed, that mm-hmm. created a lot of pain, that mm-hmm. looked eerily similar. <laughs> right. And, you know, before I met Lee, I had basically just decided to not 
date and not, you know, be in a relationship for a couple of years yeah. because I was determined to, it was actually my dad passing away when I was cremating his dead body that mm. I realized mm-hmm. all the ways in which I was becoming like him. And, you know, I was like, fuck, this is not, this is not cool. Like I, I don't, you know, there's some aspects that I really admired about him that I was proud to embody, but mm-hmm. there were all these conditioned responses, all these core wounds, all these coping mechanisms, all these oh, just traits that I was, that I brought into my life. Yeah. That, you know, even though we were separated by, you know, basically the world, he, you know, he lived on the other side, my parents did. Right. Um, right. I was still carrying that imprint. And, you know, a lot of this relationship has been our way of, you know, in a way, our imprints match up perfectly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the things we've been doing is really being the space in which the other person can transcend their parents' patterns. Um, and the only way for that to happen is it needs to come up. It needs to be seen. It needs to be recognized. It needs to be pointed out. And it needs to be held, yeah. right? Because in the past, it would we'd get to that point where it would come up, and but there was usually non-acceptance of it. Exactly. There was usually not a space that the other person could hold yeah. where they could put their triggers aside, they could put their reactions yeah. and their experience aside, and really unconditionally be there for the other person and be like, hey, I'm going to be the space for you to just fully experience what's coming up for you when this happen. And I'm going to be there with you. Right. And I'm going to hold you in a way that you were never held before. Mm -hmm. And which is precisely the reason why you developed this mechanism to protect yourself. Right. Beautiful. So yeah, so that was kind of my next question, which is, yeah, when one of you is triggered and the other one isn't, how does the one who is not triggered help the other one calm down or yeah, feel the feeling? So I think that is one of the biggest, you know, challenges in relationship is maybe how do the two people deal with the triggers that come up? How do they meet them exactly? How do they be with them? How do they interpret them? So it sounds like, so yeah, let's go into this, excuse me, Um, a little bit more. So if one of you is triggered, let's just start with just if one of you is triggered and the other one isn't. (laughs) So if one of you is triggered, uh, yeah, like, and the other one isn't, how does, how do, how does the other person, and also like, is it different? Because sometimes we each need something different when we're triggered. In term, also sometimes gender comes in, sometimes, yeah, our attachment style comes in in terms of what we need to really feel held and seen and loved and witnessed. So I'm curious, like, if we can go into it even more, like, what would be an example if we could of what it looks like? We don't need, we don't even have to share the content, but like, what is, or if you do, that's great also. Yeah. So, um, something I've noticed in both of us is that we both have a strong masculine energy mm-hmm. and i've i've done a lot of uh exploration over time as well to really welcome more of my feminine energy in which yeah. 
I absolutely adore. I, yeah. I really do. When I remember to trust that part of myself yeah. and, um, there's, we have this almost warrior like archetype, both of us. Mm. And so when that happens, um, what I have found that we both need is for the other person to really meet us with gentleness, mm. almost like the opposing force of the warrior is the one who comes in and is the healer, who yeah. is gentle and um, present, mm -hmm. who is concerned with the other, who asks, hey, what do you need right now? Or which of your needs are going unmet? I remember Ani and I driving the other day and I felt triggered mm -hmm. after leaving lunch. And I was ready. I was so ready to prepare my grievances and nail them to the door. Yeah. And I, I could feel that activation inside of me. Yeah. And it's, it's oddly satisfying sometimes to feel like you're about to walk over the edge and just explode. And that righteous yeah. anger oh, is so good. There's like a, a catharsis in it. Yeah. And so yeah. um, I was getting to that point and Ani could really sense it. And, uh -huh. um, and he was like, which of your needs are going unmet? And as soon as he said that, I could feel myself wanting to be like, no, screw you. Don't ask such a wise question. I want to be mad. Yeah. <laughs> and then I, I sat with it for a moment and I was like, well, you know, my need for acknowledgement, my need for consideration. Mm -hmm. And then when I said it, I'm like, hmm, okay. Like the charge just sort of well, you know, left and it deflated like a balloon. Uh -huh. And then as soon as we entered into that kind of conversation, it was just a real conversation. It was like, hey, what do we need from the grocery store? We need olive oil, eggs, yeah. you know, pepper. Yeah. Like, and then it became this normal conversation. I'm like, well, here's which needs have gone unmet and here's why. And he was like, hey, I really want to acknowledge that. And, you know, next time I'll, I'll do it differently this way so your needs can be met. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I don't know how I can argue with that. I just yeah. really can't. <laughs> and so it really diffused the situation yeah. a lot. And so typically when one of us has the wherewithal to see beyond the trigger and to see beyond defensiveness or protection, then we know to sort of explore the gentleness of like, hey, what do you need right now? Like, yeah. do you want a hug? Can I hug you? Would yeah. you like feedback? Yeah. And just gaining permission from the other person and not assuming what they need based on what we think they're experiencing, but right. truly asking and letting them be the leader of that. And if they don't know, then being in dialogue about not knowing what the needs are at the moment and just sort of yeah. taking it from there. And then it becomes this really beautiful tango. But it really requires, you know, the, the people in the dynamic to to practice not taking things personally. Mm. Because as soon as we take something personally, if in that situation, if I had taken her anger, her rage that she was boiling over with as, you know, something that had to do with me, mm. then I lose the ability to hold, hold space for it. Yeah. Then I become identified with it. And then mm. rather than responding, I react. And reactions usually just add fuel to the fire. So right. the, then both people are triggered. Exactly. And so the number one skill to keep peace in a relationship is to learn to not take things personally, because we think that, you know, everything that our partner does is because of us. Typically, almost nothing that our partner does is because of us. It's our own need for self-importance and our, you know, ego's need to always be at the center of attention and be the cause for 
why the sun goes, you know, spins around in the galaxy that creates this, this filter through which we look at our partners and look at situations and look at our life where if, you know, she's something is up with her, I immediately have to jump in and be like, what's going on? Is everything okay? Because that's my inability to deal with her discomfort. Yeah. And that's on me. And so typically a lot of these triggers, you know, we have to take, so, you know, not taking it personally is one principle. Another one is taking 100% responsibility for what's happening inside us. Yeah. Right. And also, you know, caring, like being kind, but having a boundary Mm -hmm. for what's not ours. Yeah. Because sometimes, you know, we just need to make our boundaries clear that, hey, like, let me know if I can support. But at this point, you know, my needs are to be in silence or be in peace. And I'm Mm going to, you know, go and do that. Mm -hmm. Because not every something that, you know, we're a space that we're deepening into is how do you space? Mm -hmm. Because sometimes when people are triggered, at least my nature is trying, you know, work through it. Mm-hmm. because it's challenging for me sometimes for there to be, you know, some turbulence in our connection and no. for, for me to like take space in a state of our relationship being turbulent, because it's like, that's my hypervigilance yeah. from my childhood where, you know, conflict meant, you know, literally lack of safety at a physical level, at an emotional level, at a psychological level. So I have really, really, really deep discomfort with open loop conflicts. Yeah. Right. And so now what we're doing in, in our relationship, because that's not fair because, you know, for Lee, what helps her is she likes space. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. sometimes she needs space in, in the middle of the conflict so that she can figure out how she feels so she can, Just get some rest, get some like perspective, get some regulation. Exactly. So, you know, but that doesn't work for me because Mm -hmm. my, at that point is when my core wounds are like being stabbed with like a fiery pitchfork. And so that's the worst time for her to basically ask for space. Right. Because I'm like, I'm at peak pain. Mm -hmm. So, you know, one of the practices that we're incorporating is, you know, Lee, can you hold space for me in that, in my pain, right? Can you hold me in my pain? Mm -hmm. Can you put your pain aside? Mm -hmm. And this is a negotiation, right? Because if we continue to smash our heads at the door and say, no, this is my need. And she's like, no, this is my need. That doesn't go anywhere. Right. Right. No one's needs get met. But if we can figure out a, a path, that, okay, like what are your needs and what's the priority of these needs? Well, these are mine. Well, can we agree that when this happens, mm-hmm. you do this, you put your needs aside for a minute so you can help me process this. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I meet your need for having space. Yeah. So you can have time to process right. and then we can come back later. Yeah. And so this is like a really complex, verbal, overt, you know, clear communication-based negotiation that needs to happen. Yeah. And that's the process of really discovering who we are in the context of a relationship. Yeah. Yeah, there, <clears throat> there's so much there that you just said that I want to touch on. Um, so many things. 
But I just want to highlight a couple of things for everyone who's listening, which is one, um, I love, um, there's just been so much, and I talk about this in my TEDx talk as well, and I just love to talk about this over and over and over again, which is in our culture, the word needs or needy, right? Like there's so much negative association with it. And what the truth is, and all the scientific research says, is that your you know, emotional well-being and emotional responsiveness is, that the, is the most important thing in a long-term committed relationship. Like that's what's going to make it work, right? And so what you guys are talking about in terms of needs is how can I be emotionally responsive to what's coming up for you, right? And so it's just beautiful to hear both of you just being able to, to listen to the other person in that way and to give space for the other person and to, and yeah, for you to say, oh, wow, like she's so angry and like, I can just be like, oh, what are, what are you really needing right now? Yeah. Like that takes a lot of skill and a lot of presence and exactly putting your ego aside and just being like the grounded rock for the feminine. I also like to talk in feminine masculine dynamics, right? So like that grounded energy so that she can feel all of her feelings, but also come back to a place of feeling held and seen and loved. So yeah, really, really powerful and not easy to do. Um, I'm curious in terms of when both of you are triggered and, um, yeah, like what happens when both of you are triggered at the same time? Are you, do you have anything that you have for your go-tos when both of you are triggered? I mean, I guess that's what you were talking about at the end, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, I'll, I'll share a, a new practice we yeah. developed, which uh -huh. is, you know, either of us in the middle of a situation where we're both triggered and it doesn't seem like you know, we're both about to go at each other's throats and there's no yeah. backing down. I'm not backing down. And you're not backing down. Yeah, I'm right. I'm right. Yeah. Either of the person can put this out, which is, hey, do you want to just make out instead? Nice. <laughs> I love that. Which, you know, it just, it kind of feels confounding, infuriating, flabbergasting <laughs> when you receive that. Yeah. Because you're so ready to make your point, to defend yeah. your fort, to like duke it out. Yeah. And then fight your or fight, like, rain. Mm -hmm. Right. And your partner's like, hey, do you want to just make out instead? It's like it just scrambles the brain <laughs> because it's like we can do that. Yeah. So we don't have to do this. Yeah. We don't have to do that. Wait, we, what do you mean we don't have to fight? Like we're so trained to go at it, right? Yeah. Because we're all dealing with unresolved open trauma loops in our bodies. Mm -hmm. And those that charge is like spinning and it's waiting to be thrown at someone. And that someone is usually our partner because, you know, they feel they're the safest. Closest one to you. They're the closest yeah. one. Yeah. And they'll take it, right? Because yeah. they're, they're a safe place to direct all our pain at, yeah. right? Because you're my partner. You should be able to take it or... You know, you won't you won't fight back, right? You won't retort, right? And so, that's like one practice that we use to like just completely sidestep the entire process yeah. of processing. Yeah. Like, great. let's just let's just like opt out of that, yeah. and let's just live life and enjoy each other because that's what we're for. 
Yeah. You want to share a more useful, I mean, this is useful too, but like yeah. a more, um, like some of the things we do when we're both going at it. Is there anything else that is like a go-to that you really like? Hmm. I mean, there's one in which, you know, we, we asked the question, um, what if it wasn't you versus me, but mm-hmm. you and me versus the pattern? So one thing we do is right. we, we try to we try to figure out what the core patterns are. And what we yeah. found in that for every couple, yeah. their ninety percent of their conflicts revolve around like one or two core two, patterns. One or two or three core patterns. Right. Yeah, totally. And so every couple needs to know Dynamic. what their core patterns are exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so once we know, once we've labeled it, once we have identified it, mm-hmm. then if it comes up, we can be like, hey, do you want to just team up, uh, you know, versus this thing rather than it being you versus me. I love that. That's beautiful. And that completely changes the orientation because now we're on the same team. And now we can look at that and be like, wow, can you believe that thing is back? I wonder what it wants. Like, Mm. what do you think it needs from you? What do you think it needs from me? Like, what do we want to do about it? Do we want to just like give it what it needs and, you know, send it away? Do we want to just, you know, like leave it out and just, focus on each other and ourselves and yeah. that That's also great. creates space and that also depersonalizes again the situation because right. the problem is we get so attached yeah. to you know the conflict the pattern the tendency he the did response this. she did this he said that right. yeah exactly yeah i love that it's kind of looking at the pattern as it's almost like a system we're in the system and like how can we look at the system from right. an objective view. And then also maybe, yeah, if one thing changes in the system, then the whole system changes. Right. Yeah. yeah. Do you want another one? We've, we've actually taken notes as well. Oh yeah, um, that's right. That's right. While, while conflict has, has huh. been occurring. Huh. Um, I mean, it's, it's beneficial for our work because we work with couples. So exactly. we are kind of our own guinea pigs. Exactly. And so we study our patterns, which yeah. so sometimes in, conflict-ridden situation, we'll, we'll be in the situation, but then we'll also have a meta-conversation about what we think is happening. Yeah. And it's this weird oscillation between mm-hmm. being first-person in the situation and then being third-person observer, which is mindfulness, is yeah. stepping into the role of the observer. And when we both step out of the participant and into the observer together, then it it also diffuses some of the the frenetic charge of the situation and we may decide to enter back into it but then we're also seeing like hey looks like this is happening quite often let's like talk about that for a second versus just the the specific thing that we're duking out right now yeah that is so huge that's huge so we have like pages and pages and pages of notes from our patterns from our conflicts yeah and we do weekly relationship retrospectives or we look at the week and we're like, Hey, what went well? What, which one of your needs got met? Which needs didn't get met? How can I be a better partner to you? Um, What, what are the ways in which I could use support? What are the ways in which you could use support? What do we want to start doing? What do we want to stop doing? And we find that running a relationship like a business is actually hugely helpful Mm -hmm. because then we're able to give the relationship attention. Yeah. And most couples that, experience a lot of challenge they only give their relationship attention when something is not working yeah the, there is very little acknowledgement of what is working 
like the things they love about the other person, mm-hmm. what they really appreciate. And the, those things go unsaid. And the only time there's really overt communication is when something's wrong. Yeah. And so that balance like is something that we try. I mean, we also like all this being said, we also mess up royally a lot. And, totally. you know, we sometimes we're, we're both seeing red and it's just like, yeah. it, you know, we're in conflict for a couple of days and then we come back and we're like, huh, okay, that was, uh, that wasn't fun, but now yeah. can we go back to enjoying each other? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Beautiful. Um, and okay. So, and I love that practice, the really, I've never heard that name relationship retrospective. Um, but I really love that, uh, practice. And I have my clients who are in couples do that as well. And, um, just the weekly check-in where it's like, what is working? What's not working? What do I really appreciate about you? You know, what do I, this week, what did I really appreciate? Like, what is something maybe that's like a withhold that I haven't shared this week that I want to share? I think just having that weekly time is so powerful to really touch in in a deep way, especially if people are really busy and there's like children and all that stuff. Um, so my next question is uh, for all the single people listening, what for each of you, what is the number one trait that you would recommend looking for in a partner? Hmm. I mean, the extent to which they can sense that that partner has deep love, acceptance, and compassion for themselves Hmm. by far, because our reality around us is a reflection of what we create inside. And so if there's a lot of self-loathing or any sign of self-loathing or, and listen, we all have it. It's not, it's not a bad thing. Um, However, when, when someone's done their work, it's pretty apparent. You can tell when someone's at home in themselves and when they're good, they're just solid And sure, things may bother them. Sure, they may lack confidence from time to time. When someone is truly in themselves, Mm -hmm. it it's a great sign in a relationship because you know it shows that they've they've done their work and they can really show up as an equitable partner in the relationship. And you know, if that's something you're seeking in someone else, it's also our responsibility to create the space for acceptance and love within ourselves. Number one thing that leads to most relationship issues, if not all of them, is some sort of um, gap that we see within ourselves. Mm-hmm. And then that gap gets projected out at someone. Right. And so, you know, when we don't feel badly about ourselves, then we don't take things personally because it's like someone telling me my hair is blonde. I wouldn't get offended. My hair is not blonde, it's brown. That's it. Yeah. But if I really had an issue with it and I thought my hair might be blonde and if it were blonde, it's not a good thing, then I'd get offended by someone making a statement like that. Yeah. So once we've really sort of done that work, it shows that someone's ready to arrive at the relationship, willing to contribute and to hold space as well as to share vulnerably what's coming up for them. I would say, you know, a growth mindset. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, to me, there's a big difference between 
coming into a relationship because you want to be done. You want to be done, done being alone, done, you know, being single, yeah. done doing whatever. Yeah. And you just want to quote unquote settle down. Yeah. If you're entering into a relationship because you want to grow. Mm-hmm. And in my experience, the most successful relationships are between people who both are, you know, interested in growing. They're curious about who they are, who the other person is. And yeah. they're looking not to be done and to just sort of coast, right. but actually, you know, use each other to, to grow. And that's why, like, I really believe that a, a romantic relationship is the ultimate container for spiritual growth. And, you know, our partners are our greatest spiritual teachers if we allow them to be, if we see them in that way. They can also be heinous demons who've been sent by Satan to haunt our, you know, existence, you know, and sometimes it may feel like that. But the the other idea that, you know, what is this showing me? How is this pointing to where I have work to do? And how is this a gift? And what what do I want to do with this awareness is always available. That perspective is always there because that's how life is. You know, everything is exactly. designed for our growth. Yeah. But if if we enter into a relationship with someone who sees things that way, who looks at life as, hey, like, wow, I wonder what I'm going to learn today. I wonder what you're going to show me today. I wonder, yeah. you know, in what ways I'm going to transcend my old patterns and, you know, my childhood wounding and, mm-hmm. you know, stop the trauma that's been passed down from generation to generation because, yeah. you know, in this container, we can do the work to to heal it, to to, to transcend it. Hundred percent. Beautiful. I love both of those answers. What a nice combo, someone who has both of those. So, um, (laughs) so yeah, that's, but yeah, I, I, that is such a cool distinction between the like, okay, I'm just want to meet my person be done instead of like, I want to meet my person, continue to grow and evolve and blossom and expand and yeah, all of that. So yeah, it's a real, real good distinction. Um, so uh, there's just so many things I want to talk to you guys about, but it's getting to the end of our time. So I can't keep you captive all day, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's been such an honor and pleasure to get to know the two of you. And um, yeah, I think our listeners are going to be really learn a lot from this. And um, yeah, would love to, if you guys can each share, um, if anyone wants to uh, contact you or get a hold of you, how to do that. Sure. Um, people can reach out to me. I'm at leenoto.com, L-E-E-N-O-T-O. Um, you can also email me hello at linoto.com and you can find me on Instagram at linoto underscore. I'm at animanian.com, A-N-I-M-A-N-I-A-N.com, ani.manian on Instagram. And our couple's work can be found at untamedintimacy.com and it's untamed underscore intimacy on Instagram. And yeah, we just love serving people and this is not just what we do, but who we are. And, you know, I yeah. get the same vibe from you. Yeah. And it's really just a privilege for us to do this work and, you know, yeah. go through a lot of the stuff so that, you know, we can point wounded other people. Yep. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm 100% a wounded healer. So. 100%. Yeah. 100%. We're Everything. all just trying to heal ourselves 
you know, through our reflections in the world. Yeah. You know, that's really like the core because there really no is no other. Right. Exactly. And so it's really cool to share the space with you, Maya. We're such mm. huge fans and we deeply appreciate and honor the work that you do and Thank the way you. you're bringing awareness to these really deeply unconscious patterns that everyone in the world goes through. And so, yeah. you know, there's so important the work that you're doing. And, Thank you know, you. I really, really, really appreciate the contribution that you're making in the world. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I feel the same about the two of you. And um, it's, yeah, I agree. It's just such an honor and a gift and pleasure to be able to do the work that we do in the world to help people grow and heal and reach their dreams. And I am also very privileged to exactly use everything that I've ever learned in myself and then be able to give it to someone else so yeah what a what a cool cycle of giving and receiving um so yeah thank you so much for coming on it's been such a joy and uh i look forward to talking to you guys in the future likewise thank likewise, you such a pleasure thank you so much for listening to rewire your attachment style this is Maya Diamond to receive your two free gifts to help you on your journey to lasting love and to start rewiring your attachment style today. Go to empowerlove.us forward slash love.